Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's passage comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. This is the word of the Lord. So, that's Gemma. And Gemma is our new worship intern, hails all the way from Scotland. Let's welcome Gemma to the team today. So she'll be doing some things that week to week, and just kind of, uh, we've given her the title, She Who Holds All Things Together. No pressure at all. Um, but she'll do some things week to week that kind of just smooth things out for us. Uh, how about an update on the offering last week? We came to you and said, man, we really need $2,500, and we raised $6,000 for Kenyatta. That's a beautiful thing. And... Uh, now we have to make decisions on what to do with the, with the extra money, which is a great problem to have. It's not really even a problem. But here's what I would say. If, know for sure that you have helped to build classrooms and this school will grow because of you. It also is likely that you have helped to fund teacher salaries. And it's also possible that you will help to uh, feed kids who might otherwise not have a meal that day. So we will let you know when all those decisions are made. Pastor Debbie is in the process of letting us know about all of those things. And I wanted to get all of those really nice things in there because you are going to be offended today, amen? <laughs> I want you to think to the moment of your salvation. Now, some of us don't have that moment etched in your memory. But some of you do. You, you have a moment, you have a time and a place. And, and hear me say this, we, we celebrate that with you, and at the same time, I want you to hear something, that, that Christ's dream for you and your life of faith did not stop at the conclusion of your special moment. We should absolutely celebrate and commemorate your special moments. But if you stopped there, Christ is saying there, there's more for you to do. There's more for you to be. In fact, your salvation is perhaps not yet complete. Please keep in mind as we talk about salvation around here in particular, it is not simply that God has saved you from something. It is that God has also saved you for something and then to something. For something and to something. And those things are more fun than the from something part. So there's a real sense, now I'm, I'm, I'm gonna ask you to look in the mirror a lot today. There's a real sense 
There's a real sense in which if all you have, if all you have that marks you as a Christian is that one moment that perhaps happened at a high school camp, Thursday night of a high school camp, 26 years ago, God bless you, this, that is great, let's hang on to that, let's remember it, and let's know that if you stop there, God's waiting for you to do something else. As precious and as dear and as worthy of celebration as those moments are, you're supposed to move on from there towards something more, teens. It's not enough. And if you're mad at me, be mad at Jesus. Jesus seems to say, as does Paul, that's not enough just to be saved from something. We need to get on to the saved to and for something. And so, as you might expect, we have to start this conversation with Batman and Robin. Look at those physical specimens. <laughs> now, now, here is something that you may or may not know about the, uh, all of the stuff that has to do with the story of, of Batman and Robin. If you actually are a, uh, a regular consumer of this particular content that has to do with Batman, you will know before I say it that Robin, Robin, is more of a label and a position than it is a specific person. Am I right? Yeah? In fact, over the years, the writers who write this particular mythology have actually had several, several Robins. Like, so you've got, uh, there's, this is, that's the, the original there, right? This is Dick Grayson there. But there are five. There's Dick Grayson, and then there was Jason Todd, and then there was Tim Drake, and then there was Steph. Did you know that there was a female Robin? And then there's the current Robin, who is Damian Wayne. Now, every time you have a new one, as you know, because you all are, are following this like I am, I'm sure, right? As you know, every time there's a new Robin, there is a prolonged training season. Every Robin gets a lot of training. And Invariably, here's what happens. The Robin in training gets pressed into important service before he or she is ready. And because Robin is pressed into service because before he or she is ready, it puts everything at risk. In other words, it was possible for Robin to have the label but not yet understand what it meant. Right? Kind of like Simon Peter. First of all, did Albert really do a great job last week or what? That was really good. She told a story that I have to grab onto in order to, to make this point today. If you remember, last week, Simon Peter, a little bit like Robin, he had this label bestowed upon him. Right? Here's how the conversation went. Who do you say that I am, said Jesus to all the disciples. And Simon answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus high-fives him, that's what's in my Bible, high-fives him and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Robin. Kind of get what I'm saying here? You are Simon Peter. You are Peter. This is the label. And on this rock, upon this confession, I will build my church, and it is something else now, Peter. This church that I'm going to build, the gates of hell itself will not prevail against it. And everybody knows that 
Gates don't move, right? So in other words, what he's saying here is we are going to be a campaign. We are going to be a movement. We are going to be an initiative. And by the way, Simon Peter, you are crucial to this. We're going to make this work. You can just see Simon Peter puff up, puff up, puff up like, yes. (laughs) I am Simon Peter. He probably went looking for a name tag immediately, right? Maybe a jersey even that said Simon Peter. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus makes it. I think he's talking now to Simon Peter, but even the people around Simon when he says, and I will give you the keys. To have keys is to have power, y'all. Right? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Lots of Greek stuff there, and I want to talk about that in a second. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, if you don't read this carefully, you get the impression that whatever Peter decides here on earth, heaven is obligated to, right? But it actually should have gone something like this. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. In other words, Simon Peter, this is huge. You will have opportunity to put skin on and flesh on the intentions of heaven where God has decided, here's how I will go about being God. It's not that your decisions on earth will obligate heaven, Simon Peter. It's that your ministry here on earth will demonstrate the values, the nature, the ethos, the hopes, the priorities already established in heaven. If heaven has chosen nonviolence, Peter, then you will have the keys that will allow that posture to be enacted, embodied, and effective here on earth. Your ministry on earth will enact and embody the priorities established in heaven, except that Simon Peter didn't quite get that part. And because they didn't quite get that part, (laughs) this is why this is said. Then he sternly ordered the disciples just to keep their mouths shut. You don't yet know, Simon. Like, you've, you've had your moment. You've had your inspirational moment. What you haven't yet had is the season, is the season of training that will make it all make sense. Simon Peter thinks that all he needed was the inspirational moment. Okay, this is, it's it's okay, it's Labor Day weekend, we have a little smaller crowd, it's probably fine. I'm talking probably to the core group here, right? This is the core group. The core group needs to understand that Christianity, you can even hear it in the, in the word itself, in the label, in the title of Christianity. Christianity intends for you to be more and more and more like Christ. It's not about simply, it's not just about the stuff that you've been saved from. It has more to do with who you are becoming. Are you becoming Christ? Am I becoming Christ, or is my testimony rooted in the memory of a sweet moment, which again is good and worthy of celebration? Just so you know, though, Jesus wanted that to be the starting line and not the finish line. Was it for you a starting line, 
Are you today investing in your life of faith or, and we're gonna have a term for this later that is super offensive, so just hang in there with me, seatbelts everybody. Or you're just kind of resting on Christ's laurels. Jesus, sensing that he had lots of work to do with Peter and the other disciples, starts the training like this. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, we have used the language already today of binding and loosing. Maybe what you don't know is that the word here translated as must, like he must do these things, is the same word that is translated as binding and loosing. In other words, Jesus began to show his disciples that what has been bound and loosed in heaven was such that Jesus was to undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised, because, y'all, that's what was bound and loosed in heaven. That Jesus would be the embodiment of a full-out, whole-body commitment to non-violence. I think he just got political. <laughs> Y'all, stop. Nonviolence. Can we agree that nonviolence is how Jesus chose to go about being the Messiah? I have three people nodding. I'll come over here. Can we agree that whatever it meant to be the Messiah, whatever it meant to Jesus to be the Messiah, somehow he understood it in a way that he would go about it in nonviolent ways. And all God's people said. And so Christians, you see where I'm headed to, right? So Christians must be on the path to someday value nonviolence as much as the Savior you claim who has secured your eternity. And all God's people said a very cautious Verse 22, and then Peter took him aside, wearing his jersey, name tag and everything. So puffed up was he by the new label that he was carrying around. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke the God of the universe known as Jesus. I, I, would, I would encourage us not to rebuke God, amen? <laughs> rebuke, chastise, correct Jesus saying, says, God forbid it, Lord. The, the words actually say, no, there's, there's mercy here. Ha, may there be mercy on your life, Lord. This must never happen to you. This is just too much for Simon Peter. He has the label. He has not undergone the, undergone the journey or the process of discipleship. So his first act as leader in waiting is to try to correct Jesus. And not that this would be the last time this would happen, but so often Christians, and I'm including myself in that number, great. Glad to know that you're a Christian, Pastor. But here's what I'm saying. So often Jesus says, cross, and we say, no, crown. I mean, look at us. 
How often do Christians, now obviously I'm not talking about our sweet church. I'm talking about all those other churches out there who on a regular basis, whether it's their politics or the way that they do their family relationships, the way they do business, so often out there, Jesus walks around saying, the cross is the way, and we say, no, perhaps not with our mouths, but with our lives, we say, no, the crown, and maybe even the sword, is the way. Jesus. And to Simon Peter, Jesus says, <laughs> you know, why don't you get behind me, Simon Peter, and even refers to him with this god-awful term, Satan or tempter, because you are tempting me. Simon Peter goes from saint to Satan, from foundational rock to stumbling block, from hero to less than zero. You see, what, what Peter wants to bind and loose on earth contradicts outright what has been bound and loosed in heaven. Here comes that very questionable term. Here's what Simon Peter has become without knowing it. He's become a vampire Christian. Now, I'm teaching a class for NNU this year. It's in spiritual formation, and so I'm very grateful for it. It comes at a great time. It has shoved me back toward some of these old classics uh, books that have to do with spiritual formation. Reading a lot of Dallas Willard, and so something that Dallas Willard said not too long ago just jumped off the page at me. He was talking about vampire Christians. And vampire Christians are the Christians who only need just a little bit of Jesus, just a few drops of blood. One, in effect, says to Jesus, I'd like a little of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or to have your character. I don't care to be your student. Jesus, you seem way farther left than I want to be. Hippie. Jesus, what you do in life, what you do in life won't work in the real life, Jesus. Let me, let me, let me tell you how it works in the real life, Jesus. That's what Dallas Willard calls a vampire Christian. A, a vampire Christian still needs something from Jesus because, I mean, we, we can't secure our own eternity, can we? We need God's help, and God helps us in the sacrifice of Christ. And so what we really need, thank you, Jesus, is just a little bit of blood, a little bit, just a little bit, not so much that it changes me, but enough that it changes you and your view of me. Vampire Christians need only a few drops. My eternity is secured, or at least I hope it is, but my life isn't changed. Salvation, however, has always been more than that. In the same way that a marriage is more than your wedding day memory. A marriage is more than a moment. We know, right, that it's a process, it's a journey, it's an unfolding story, and if it's not then there is likely to be betrayal 
and divorce. Turns out salvation is also an ongoing process. It's more than that one-time prayer. How many of us have only a memory of a moment where salvation is concerned? Peter himself has a moment, but he doesn't have the whole picture yet. But because of his moment, Peter thought he now had insight and perspective and authority to rebuke Jesus all because of that moment. And moments, hear me say it again, moments are great and worthy of our celebration and our memory. That said, a moment does not equate to a lifetime of growth and discipleship. How many of us, at some point along the way, have rested in the former moment without taking the subsequent steps in the journey? I'm kind of saying y'all need a growth plan. And Christians who reject the need to have a growth plan, you kind of see their vampire teeth. Christ's understanding of discipleship is a full, holistic picture of salvation. It's a process whereby a person, and Peter in this case, learns to bind the right things and to loose the right things, embodying the dreams of heaven and not the ugliness of all that we see around us. It seems to me, and maybe I'm cynical and I'm just not seeing all that you're seeing, but it seems to me that Christians have gotten better at fighting with the weapons of the enemy than they have in not fighting. Jesus expands on his point. He told his disciples, listen, if you want to be my followers, disciples, here's what it's going to take. You need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow. Because if you don't, you're going to bind and loose the wrong things, and in the process, (laughs) you will lose your life. But those who lose their lives for my sake, having bound and loosed the right things, will find it. Now, we live in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. It is not likely that very many of us are going to be asked to die for our faith. It is Oklahoma City, 2023. You'll probably get discounts on all kinds of things if you can let somebody know that you're a Christian. We're not very often asked to be martyrs who die, but we are asked for nothing less, though. Or don't you remember the language of living sacrifices? Living sacrifices, the hope is that living sacrifices would spend just as much as the martyr, or at least, or at least would be on the journey involved in the process whereby one finally gets to the place where you understand the power of being a living sacrifice. All right, John, then what do you want us to do? All right. I am very glad you asked because I have some very specific answers. I think, I think, that people who want to learn what it is that has been bound and loosed in heaven so that you can actually live out the binding and the loosing of heaven should probably take disciple. Some of you are trying to be Christian without knowing the story that enfolds us as it unfolds. 
and you, you're not, you, God bless you, people with the, the best of intentions, but you have to know the story that you find yourself in or else you will find yourself in a different story. And disciple, which I believe starts Wednesday, and is led ably by my friend, Jason Smith. Disciple is a great way to figure out what place you have in the story. Y'all, if you haven't done it yet, you really need to. Why? Because it's a part of being saved. It's a part of that holistic understanding of what it means to be saved. As is reinvesting yourself in service. Finding some way to reinvest yourself. So, on October 1st, you're not going to believe this, but we're going to have a shorter service. The pastor's going to preach only this long, I promise. We're going to walk out of here at 11.15 and into the atrium where there will be 10 different tables and 10 different ministry areas and 10 different people saying, you can help me do this. And I've asked them, please have your lists of needs very uh, specifically defined. It can't just be, hey, help us fix Africa. That's too big. <laughs> but there are specific things that you can do to help our neighborhood in power, to help with the live stream effort, to help in the effort that we have in Africa, to help, by the way, can I announce this? Yeah. Our new uh, ministers of hospitality, Paul and Kelly Baker. Yeah, yeah. So, if you haven't yet picked up an oar to help us row this big thing, it's probably gonna be Paul or Kelly, and they're very hard to say no to. They're gonna ask you, how can you help us make this place more hospitable. So on the first, we're going to say, yeah, the benediction is meant to send you into the atrium where you would have an opportunity to sign up to reinvest yourself because the cycle of Christian life and the cycle of salvation is not completed unless you reinvest yourself. And help me here. And all God's people said, I'll take it. John, I need some more. What, what, is it, what does it look like for me to carry my cross in Oklahoma City and the surrounding areas? What does it look like to carry my cross in 2023? Paul says it just a few verses after he has said, you all are meant to be living, living sacrifices. And it sounds just like this. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Okay, this is, this is about to get really personal and really basic. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them, because that's what everybody else is doing. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. This is tough, but this is what Christians who are being saved are asked to do. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. That's not your problem. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, repay, says the Lord. And then there's this, and you've heard me talk about this before if you've been here any length of time. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, 
You will heap burning coals on their heads. Now, some of you, especially if you haven't heard me say this part before, some of you are saying, that's what I'd like for my enemies, actually, burning coals on their heads. That doesn't sound all bad. But that's not what that means. Let me try to set the stage for you. Giant cities way back when, surrounded perhaps by a giant wall. But the good leaders in those giant cities would recognize that there is an entire tent village. People who are too poor to live in the city would live outside the walls of the city in huts, in tents, let's say. And in service of those people who are poor, sometimes the city leaders would dig this deep pit and fill it with rocks and do the best they could to set all of it on fire. And here's why, especially when it was really, really cold outside, that fire would be the possibility and hope that you would have to live. Because you could freeze to death in some of these places without warmth and heat. And so, when you're constructing your tent village, obviously, the best place to live is nearest to that fire pit. Nearest to that fire pit. And these, these giant hunks of coal at this point would be carried on in, in, inside of glass jars on top of somebody's head. The problem is, if you got there late, and you live way far away from the fire pit, it's altogether possible that on a very cold night, the, the piece of coal that you have in that bucket on your head is going to be cold by the time you get all the way home. So good neighbors do this, good neighbors do this. When they see somebody who's gotta walk a long way to get to where their hut is on the other side of the tracks over there, sometimes what they'll do is they'll take a little bit of their own coal and place it in that bucket on their head. Because a hot coal has this strange way of warming up all the other coals. So that by the time you get all the way to where your tent is, way too far away from the fire pit, but if someone has helped you along the way, you actually have a chance to get all the way home with warmth. And perhaps with that warmth, not only do you stay warm, maybe you cook with that warmth. So what's not being said here is this, oh, we're gonna frustrate your enemies to death by being nice to them and heap burning coals on their heads because we dislike them and we want burning coals on our enemies' heads. That's not what's being said at all. What's being said is, no, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If it's thirsty, give them something to drink. And perhaps by doing so, you will warm an entire household and change the world hut at a time, room at a time. Christian, if in your skirmishes and struggles and fights with your enemies, if you find yourself fighting with the weaponry of the enemies, you have not yet fully understood what salvation hopes to do in your mind and heart. A while back, before we had the great staff migration, <laughs> we were reviewing a decision made by a board far away from us that we deeply disagreed with and we found to be troubling and even dangerous and recognized that it was such a troubling and dangerous decision that perhaps even the people who made the decision were going to suffer consequences. And you'll not be surprised, but Britt Bowerjack says, well, I know what we ought to do. We ought to get organized, get ready, and send these people cookies. And so we sent crumble, and not just any old cookie, we sent crumble cookies to this board of people 
with a note saying, it's probably hard to be you today. We care for you. Your church board voted to do it last Sunday night. Church board has constructed a letter. That, board members, is ready for you to sign. It's in the workroom, so please do that. That we're going to send to a, another church board that's really struggling, really struggling. The hope is to warm another room with the love and grace of Christ. Simon Peter had not yet learned how to be Christian. He'd learned how to be Peter, complete with a moment, but he had not yet learned how to be Christian. And by the way, he still doesn't know how to be Christian. If you keep reading, he'll mess up again and again and again. Good news, bad news, ready? Bad news is it takes a while to learn this. Good news is Jesus didn't give up on Peter. And he learned it. Hey, Christian, good news, bad news. <laughs> bad news is, for you and, and all the other cold huts around us, me included, it, it takes a long time for us to learn this posture of life and faith, especially when we have so much evidence to the contrary around us, so many voices around us who are encouraging us to fight with the weapons of the enemy. And by the way, some of these fights seem to be worth it. They're important discussions that we're having, and some people are just dangerously wrong, amen? Yeah. So how do we do this? Well, it, it seems to be that both Jesus and Paul are encouraging us to do something that is going to seem awkward, unreasonable, and even in some places outrageous. But here's how else Jesus would describe this process toward the outrageous, discipleship and finishing the project of your salvation. Because you're not just saved from eternal ugliness. You're saved for this initiative that seeks to change the world. Christian, are you more like Jesus than you were a month ago? Are you being conformed to the very person of Christ? Are you being conformed? Are you more Christian than you were a year ago? grace that's being spent on you, the grace that's being spent on me, has in mind something more than just rescue from eternal damnation. It has in mind world change through you, disciple. All the world that you can reach. in the course of your job, in the course of your family life, in the course of your life, this Jesus has in mind that we would be saved such that we could be the tangible presence of Christ moving through every room we find ourselves in. This kind of growth is intentional. It's not accidental. You need to intend to grow toward Christ-likeness. So do I.
So part of what we do is we gather around this table each week because we believe that this is indispensable in the process of moving us toward Christ-likeness. If you are helping us today, please come and set this table so that we can again be reminded of our origin story, an origin story that does not start with us. It starts with the God who loved us, loved us though he knew everything about us and chooses us anyway. <laughs> That's where all of this begins. It is, it is the hope of God that somehow in the course of being Christian, we learn to extend grace. But we are extending the grace that we have received. Does everybody understand that? And so we return to this table and we return to the story each week in the hopes of remembering for a little while longer and a little while longer until finally we become the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given. And so God bless these elements. Bread and cup. Bless these elements, God, and somehow with them, shape us, renew us, help us to remember what it is that you are seeking in and through us. Help us, God, to be shaped to be people who can finally bind and loose what has been bound and loosed in heaven. Shape us to be people who go about life, the best days and our worst days, Victory and conflict shape us to be people who go about all of it the way we see Jesus going about it. And, and God, help us to not feel like that somehow it's just beyond us. We just can't ever attain it because help us to, to not be subject to those kinds of doubts and fears because we know that you have chosen us to be the embodiment, chosen us to be the essence of this mission, this initiative. So give us the confidence that comes with grace, that somehow, knowing us as you do, you still choose us and see in us the potential of disciples. So in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to your left, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive grace. It's really the only way to receive it, open hands. As you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person will take a piece Press it into your hands, look at you and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And there it is, the gift of grace, the reminder of the grace of God. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. When you dip it into the cup, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat and be nourished. <laughs> be reminded, be nourished, be resourced to take your place as a functioning member of the movement and in the process, know that you are being saved. You are being saved. And then find a place to pray because this, this, is, this process doesn't work unless bathed in prayer, yours and other people's for you. <laughs> find a place to pray. If you come to a side padded altar, then someone will meet you there and, and pray a prayer for healing. We'll understand that you are there for a prayer for healing. Doesn't matter what kind of healing you need, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, familial and relational. If you need healing, come find it at one of these side padded altars. Or you can come to one of these kneeling benches up front, and while we won't assume anything, we will make sure that you know that you are not alone as you pray. You may want to make a special trip by this bowl right here. Just about halfway full of water that will allow you just to kind of reach in and touch the top of the water and in so doing, hopefully you'll remember the moment of your baptism when you were initiated 
in the best and most official, most beautiful ways into this kingdom toward Christ-likeness. Who's eligible? All of us who need grace, all of us, each of us, John included, are eligible. The only way that you disqualify yourself from this table is to say that you don't need it. Don't come if you don't need it. But you are all invited, but none are compelled. If you'd like to sit this one out, that's fine. I don't like doing communion this way. That's fine. I don't like doing it every week. Then just stay seated. It's okay. You're still welcome here. I need it every week. I probably need it a couple times a week, maybe daily. Because I need the constant reminder that I live in response to grace that I didn't earn or else it wouldn't be grace. And somehow, life lived in response to grace is of a higher quality than life lived always trying to earn it. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, including today, remember me. In the same way later he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. Remember. Remember our origin story today. Now, all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pews to the left and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to resource and nurture the people of God.